This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. What happens when you cut your expenses and only overspend on the things that you're really passionate about and cut everything else, that means that budget number, the amount you can save, can drastically go up. And in that scenario I just gave you, what does that mean? That means I can push the goal forward. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, we're going to have a quick chat with my friend Joe Saul Cihai from the award-winning Stacking Benjamins podcast, and we're going to talk about how to determine how much you need to save for retirement. And after that, we're back with another interview for our mortgage-free segment. This month, we'll be featuring Bob Lottick from Seed Time Money. We're going to walk through how Bob and his wife went from $46,000 in credit card debt to being mortgage-free and having no debt in their lives. All right, let's jump into today's show. I am here with Joe Salcihai, the host of the award-winning Stacking Benjamins podcast, and I am pumped to talk to him because... I don't know. I've known Joe for a long time now, and it's great to talk to him. And we've got a question this week from a listener who is asking us about what their retirement level should be. What savings should they have at this point in their life? And I thought I'd invite the former financial advisor and the host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, Joe Salsi. Hi. I am sweating. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so That's sweaty. where I like you. And <laughs> Perfect. We need, we need you sweaty and dripping on the microphone. That's right. I don't and know. Nervous. I don't, I don't know. know the answer. Please know. But you know, that's the fun thing. We can both not know and just talk about it, right? Yes. I say at the end, this is for entertainment purposes only, so. Very seriously. And you know this, <laughs> I did I did public relations for American Express yeah. for about nine years. It was my main job. I was a financial planner, but I took all of these courses on how to talk when you're on the media. And if you don't don't know the answer to something, just start talking and keep talking and keep talking because you know, Andy, that they only have two and a half minutes. So they're going to cut you off eventually. And at some point they got to cut. <laughs> so you just- I've seen some politicians do that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And by the way, when they taught me that, that was kind of like, it, it wasn't plan A, B or C, it was plan like F or G. And, and they also told me if you're going to use that, the producer knows exactly what you're doing and yeah. realize you're never going to be asked back. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's try for that today. Maybe, we maybe I will invite you back. <laughs> so this message is from John from Michigan, and he wrote in and said, Hey, Andy, I was wondering if you were in agreement with these retirement savings by your age. So I'm looking at the article, and it's from Smart Asset, but you've seen a lot of these, Joe, where people are creating these articles saying, Hey, maybe you should be here at this point. So it says, for example, by the time you're 30, you should have half your salary saved. So if you're making $60,000 a year by age 30, you should have about $30,000 saved for retirement. 40, you should have two times your annual salary by 40. You know, by 50, you should have four times. By 60, you should have six times. So he's looking at this and maybe maybe looking at his retirement savings and saying, am I way off or am I doing a good job? And I just wanted to invite you on and talk about 
do these articles help people? Are they a good barometer? I guess that's where I wanted to start the conversation. I think they do help. They help in the way that they get people interested because they're very clickbaity, aren't they? They sure are. Like, oh, how am I doing? I think in terms of getting you interested, they're great. I have some frustration with these pieces, though, only because of this. What you end up finding, anybody who's actually gone through and found out what their number is, finding a number that's not a rule of thumb, way easier than you think it is. Way, way, way easier. Almost every single financial company, whether it's Fidelity or Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or whoever, Charles Schwab, they all have these calculators on their site where you can figure out what your exact number would be. And the frustrating thing I have is when I was a financial planner, I had clients that wanted to live on $25,000 a year, would have been very happy on a lake in Northern Michigan, fishing all day and never going anywhere. And I had other clients that wanted to travel the world. They wanted to see everything. They wanted to live on $400,000 a year. For one person, they might be saving way too much using one of these rules of thumb. And for other people, they were saving way too little. So yeah. I love them for building thirst. But but then I feel like sometimes they might scare people away, though, too. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm behind. So is that part of the problem, then? Because we're talking more about people's income than their actual expenses. Sure. With that and mindset here, not a lot of people know exactly what their expenses are. That's part of the problem, probably, right? I think there's a bigger problem. I do think that's a problem. The biggest problem is, is we don't pay attention to where we're going. And it's funny because when I read it, I never thought this was one of my favorite books, but I quote it all the time. And it's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? He always talks about begin with the end in mind. And I think that if you set a goal and then you look at what it takes to achieve that goal, then even regardless of your budget, there's a guy, another great book, The Wealthy Barber, a Canadian book, but fantastic, where the guy who wrote it said, budgets are baloney. People do what they have to do. And so by knowing what the end game is, you find out exactly what you have to do. And I'll give you a formula. Any goal is X amount of money you need to save times Y return equals whatever the goal is, right? So let me put some numbers on those. Let's say, Andy, to reach your retirement goal, you've got to save six bucks. Yeah, right. Right. Sweet. But but yes, (laughs) I can do. Got it. Check the wallet right now. Right. (laughs) Six bucks and I need to get an 8% rate of return on my money to get my goal. Well, now we've got two things. So then we look at your budget and you don't have six bucks. You only have five bucks. Well, because we know what the goal is, we have two things we can do. Number one is we can look at your investments and take more risk. Now, 8%, you're already in pretty, are you going to get higher than that? I don't know. But you could bump it up to nine, take more risk. You also know there's a little more chance that you won't reach the goal because you're taking more risk, but you could do that. Or you could say, you know what, instead of retiring at 60, I'm going to push that back to 62 and then I make it. So by knowing what that first number is and whether you can meet it or not, that's one thing. The second thing is, let's say you got six bucks, but that 8% number, you look at the investments that historically have done 8%, like the S&P 500, and you go, yeah, I don't like that roller coaster ride. You know, that's like Charlie Brown's shirt you know, going up and down and up and down, right? right? I don't want that. Well, if you don't want that, that's fine. You reduce that to six. Now you've got another problem. Mm. Now we either have to find a way to save more money Or once again, we have to push back the goal or change the goal. It's the same question about when people start a job, they have these risk assessment quizzes at work, right? 
they drive me crazy. Like <laughs> I love them, but nobody wants to take it. I don't want to take any risk. <laughs> I go, no, I don't want to take any risk at all. There are a lot of people that take these risk assessment quizzes. They end up in the stable value fund where their money's safe and they will never ever, well, they will very safely <laughs> never ever do anything. Yeah maybe get inflation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you take that when you know what the other levers are, it's far, far better and not that hard. Outside of maybe moving back the goalpost for, hey, I'm not going to retire at 60, I'll retire at 65 or, you know, some of the other ways. Can we start early by looking at our expenses so we can grow that gap and have the ability to increase our investments? Oh, absolutely. Because what happens when you cut your expenses and only overspend on the things that you're really passionate about and cut everything else, that means that budget number, the amount you can save, can drastically go up. And in that scenario I just gave you, what does that mean? That means I can push the goal forward, which is exciting. These are always my favorite. When I was a financial planner having this conversation, I'm like, hey, Andy, guess what? You and Nicole, you told me you want to retire at 60, you want to retire on $65,000 a year. Great news. You could probably retire at 52. Mm. And with that, and and you're going to be okay. So you can push the goal up. You can leave the goal the same and just spend more money in retirement, go around the world a couple of times to celebrate the fact that you're going into retirement, or you can pause saving right now, maybe for a couple of years, right? And enjoy right now. Cause we don't know if we're going to show up later. You, you can pause that. You could take less risk with your money. Yeah. You could say, you know what? I can very safely get there with a 5% interest rate so I can feel more comfortable. I can sleep at night knowing that my money's safer. The lever you can most control, to your point, is is that budget level yeah. lever. There's one thing that's that's come up a lot and for, for people who have done a lot of savings in their 20s and 30s and into their 40s is this term called Coast Fire. I don't know a lot about it, but from what I understand, it's you save up to a point in your you know tax-advantaged retirement accounts where you can feel good enough to stop is that a good plan for people who are in their 30s or 40s that have gotten to that point? I like it for a few reasons. You see these people that retire early and then they have this like post-apocalyptic internal meltdown of what does my life mean? What the hell did I do? I didn't realize that I love doing whatever I did so much. Yeah. And, and you see this all the time. So taking these mini retirements and seeing what it's going to be like, like a lot of people right now during the coronavirus problem have figured out they don't like their house as much as they thought they did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I worked so hard for this thing and I can't wait to get out of it. <laughs> I saw this thing. Not only, not only are the sales of alcohol being purchased from stores and not from restaurants up like 25%, but also artwork is through the roof. People are buying artwork. You know why? Cause you see you're, you're looking at these walls and you're like, if I'm here every day, I'm putting something good on the, putting, putting something good on the window. So I think you get this real feel for what's important to you and what isn't ahead of time. And like I mentioned before, I, I just, what bothered me sometimes about financial planning was that you'd see these people that were betting everything on a future that might not happen. Right. We yeah. just don't know. Yeah. So it is about balance. Yeah. You know, which on a whole different level drives me a little crazy when I hear people go, well, yeah, we told our financial advisor that we want to take this trip and it's really important to us. And our advisor said, no, we should save a lot more money into right. accounts that they manage. Right. You need to fire that advisor. Right. So it's all about finding a good financial advisor that has your best interest at heart then. Yeah. Knows that that thing that's really important to you, you are building that moat around that thing. So it's protected. Yeah. 
and that's good for us to think about too. So hitting these great numbers is, is awesome and it can leave you with some comfortable retirement, but it's also good to think about today and what you can do to enjoy life. Cause as you said, we don't know where it's going. That shouldn't be an excuse for us to not save for our retirement, but we also have to enjoy life. And some of these numbers that are in these articles could be fiction for you, or they could be semi-accurate who knows, yeah. but it's good to work with somebody that can help you figure it out. Yeah. Or at least go to those websites and, and figure out the numbers. Cause yeah. every one of these places has a great calculator. I don't really like financial advisors, frankly, Andy, for the calculator. You have the calculator. Theirs is going to be better. Don't get me wrong, but you'll have a good enough number by going to any, any responsible financial website. I like the advisor for somebody who's not me, who goes, Joe, you're full of it. Yeah. Joe, there's no way you can do both of those things. You need to pick one. There you go. Joe, which one of these is really most important there's no way, Joe, you should put all your money in gold. That is dumb. And here's why. Like you need somebody who's going to challenge your thinking so that you do reach your goals and you don't step in. That's what I like. I like the discussions with Absolutely. the advisor. Like a third party coach, like a, somebody yes. who's going to help you get along and move things forward. Not necessarily somebody who's going to make you only invest in your retirement savings because those are the products that they maybe will make a little bit of money on. Right, cha-ching. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. I hope that helps out John from Michigan as he's trying to figure out his plans for retirement and see if he's on track. So Joe, where can people learn more about you and listen to your awesome show? You can find me in my mom's basement partying with the crew here every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the Stacky Benjamin Show. And six days a week, we do a show about headlines that's called Money with Friends. Bobby Rebel and I, our mutual friend, Bobby, we have a lot of fun talking to people and kind of discerning what these headlines are about. Excellent. Well, I love both of those shows. You guys should definitely check them out. I'm going to put them in the show notes and support Joe because he's helping us out today and we're having a lot of fun. Joe, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invitation. It was a good time. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks 
per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to be interviewing Bob Lodick from Seed Time Money. Bob is a certified educator in personal finance and the founder of the award-winning blog, SeedTime.com. His site and podcast contain the lessons learned from his journey from being a stingy, debt-ridden fool to now 100% debt-free. Bob's writing and advice has been featured in Kiplinger's, Yahoo Finance, Forbes, and many other major publications. We're going to chat with Bob today about how he went from being in credit card debt to now being mortgage-free. Welcome to the show, Bob. Uh, Thank you, Andy. So glad to be here. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Well, you and I had a chance to meet at a awesome Dave Ramsey event last fall. And since you and I are both in this sort of super debt freedom uh, category, I thought we'd get together and chat about this. So talk to me about how you found yourself in credit card debt originally. Yeah, stupid spending. You know, some people... (laughs) with a lot of debt have legitimate excuses like medical needs or whatever. I mean, there's some legitimate things that come up, but for me, it was not at all. It was just impulsive spending, just not being able to say no to myself. And that just, you know, like so many of us led to a lot of credit card debt. How much credit card debt did you have at that point in your life? Kind of when I started getting serious about paying it off, Probably $15,000 in credit card debt. Once I got married to my wife, she brought a little bit in. And at that point, we kind of started moving forward on paying off all of our kind of consumer debt. And so this was our car loans and all of our credit cards all rolled up together. And that was about $46,000. Okay, so 46 between credit cards and car. So what was the point for maybe you or both of you where you said, enough's enough, let's make some change and... I guess, take our financial situation to a better level. I realized, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says that the borrower is slave to the lender. And I remember feeling like, this is how I feel. I remember that burden of having these lenders and occasionally, not a lot, but occasionally getting into a situation where I'd miss a payment and, you know, getting angry calls from credit card companies or whoever. And I just hated that, you know, and I, and I think most of us, I mean, most people listening, you and I both understand that that feeling is just not fun. And so I just realized if there's another option to avoid that and to not deal with this, like I want that. And once I kind of discovered that there is, you know, and I, I don't know that I knew that growing up, but once I kind of had that revelation, it doesn't have to be this way and you don't have to go through this. That was a really big motivator for me just to get serious about taking my finances seriously and just to get the debt paid off. 
So when you guys decided, hey, let's do this, let's move forward, I guess maybe that's the question first. Were you both on board with this plan? How did those conversations start where you said, hey, let's clobber this together? My wife, Linda, when we got married, I mean, she had always prayed for someone like me, really, who was, quote, good at money. And because she just wasn't. And so when we got married, she she had a lot of debt and I, I was still paying off my debt. And together, we kind of, I convinced her, I'm like, this is going to be worth it. Like, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be some sacrifice. But trust me, honey, when we get there, it's going to be worth it. She believed it. And I didn't even know that I believed it at the time. I, you know, I had heard the stories, but, you know, I was really hoping that what everybody said was true. She bought it, I bought it, and we went after it. And then once we reached that point, it's like, yeah, it's true. I'm really glad we went after this. Were there some lifestyle changes you guys needed to make in order to pay off that debt? Were you spending more than you made at that point? How did you make those changes? Yeah, no, we were absolutely spending more than we made. She was, at the time, living at home. when we went, Right before we got married, she was still living at home with her parents and you know, had a low paying job, but was spending well over the amount of money she was making, even while living at home. And I was consistently spending more than I was making. And so together, yes, we had some pretty massive lifestyle changes that we needed to make. And and so that involved just cutting expenses like crazy, you know, all the kind of common stuff that you do. But like food wise, we were eating the equivalent of rice and beans, like Dave would say, and just giving up all of the kind of discretionary expenses or discretionary spending for a period of time. And I knew it wasn't going to be the rest of our lives, but I wanted to spend a concentrated time making any and all sacrifices that we could to get there. Yeah. What were you both doing for income at that time? That time I was working at a financial services firm, kind of like in the back office, helping with some stuff. She was working at our church as a receptionist and we were both in very entry level, low paying jobs. We did not have much income coming in together, you know, so it wasn't a whole lot there. So we just had to cut a lot of expenses. Yeah. So it was like a sub hundred thousand dollars at that point. Together, probably 50 something thousand dollars. And how long did it take for you guys to clobber that 46000 then? We got all of that paid off, I think, in about two or three years. I don't have the exact number. I'm sure it was less than three, but somewhere between two and three years it took us. That's pretty aggressive for making around $50,000. That's a big lifestyle change. Yeah, it was. It was. So talk to me about that moment when you guys became debt-free. It sounds like you didn't want to stop there. What did you start to do with your money after you became debt-free? The first kind of aha as we were going through this, where this dawned on me, like how amazing this is going to be is when we paid off our first car. And once I walked out of that bank with a title in my hand, like I was so giddy. I, I was like a little kid, like running out to the car out of that bank with holding this title, just that feeling of the car is actually mine. This car that I've always said is mine, that was always the bank's is now actually mine. Like there was something magical that just kind of lit inside of me at that point. And so from there, we paid off our next car. And and ultimately, like you said, like that led us to the point of paying off all of that $46,000 of debt. But yes, as soon as we hit that point, it's like, all right, now it's time for the big enchilada. Like if this has felt this good, what will happen when our house is paid off and when the biggest bill we have each month is whatever, our electric bill or something like that was so inspiring to me just to think about that. And and so once we did hit that point of having that paid off, that was immediately our next focus. And we loosened the reins a little bit, you know, because we'd been making a lot of sacrifices and it was time to celebrate a little bit and, you know, not go crazy. But 
like, all right, maybe we can go out to dinner once a month now. Maybe we can go on a vacation. Maybe we can do some of the things. So we celebrated that victory, but then we continued to focus our efforts towards getting the house paid off. Were kids in the picture at this point when you started to move towards the mortgage-free idea? No, not yet. We had a late start on kids. So we, this was probably 2000 and seven or eight at this point. And so, yeah, we didn't have any kids yet. Yeah. I think we were thinking about kids, but that was, this was another part of it. It's like, if we can, we know kids are expensive. So if we can get a head start and get the mortgage paid off before we have kids, like that'll be amazing. So at that point, you guys said, all right, let's move things forward. If this feels this good, we're addicted. Let's start to move things into that plan. What steps did you then take to pay off your mortgage early? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just focusing the energy on what was working. So at the time, I was growing a business. I was working for my financial services company. I was still working for there. But I what I didn't know is that I was about to be laid off <laughs> and which ended up leading me to kind of becoming a full-time blogger very early in the whole blogging game. But yeah, by 2008, I'd gotten laid off and was a full-time blogger. And yeah, and we just began taking any income that we could get, even though we were starting this kind of fledgling business, but any extra income that we get was going towards it still while still like maintaining as low of standard of living as possible. You know, like we wanted to enjoy our lives a little bit because we had paid off that our debt, but It was always about how do we keep our standard of living as constant as possible while the income goes up and just creating that spread and and making that as wide as possible so we have as much discretionary income to put towards the debt as possible. And, And that was just kind of the focus of everything at that point. That's a really good insight to try to not let the lifestyle inflate, but try to inflate the income. You can see that almost on like a visual graph. We're keeping it here, but we're making the income go like that. So what did you guys do? It sounds like this job loss was during the Great Recession last time around. Is is that right? Yeah, it was in 2008. It was all these big financial services companies were merging and we got bought out by a bigger company and they just didn't need our department anymore. And so it's like our entire department got laid off. Thankfully, a lot of pieces of that actually worked out really well to my benefit. You know, so one of the things was that I was given a severance package, which was really generous considering I was a pretty low level employee. And then beyond that, there was a retention bonus because I needed us to stay till a certain date and any employee that was willing to do that could get a bonus. And I knew that I was going to kind of run after starting my own business and not look for another job. So that worked perfect for me. So we were able to get some extra cash from that which served as an emergency fund kind of while we were getting this business off the ground. But once the business was kind of up and running, that became, all right, that's a chunk that we can put towards the house. And so that was another big chunk that we were able to put towards the house. So you said you'd kept your expenses sort of at a fixed level. About what area were you guys in? The the $40,000 range, $50,000 range, something like that? In terms of expenses, like we, yeah, probably the, I mean, cause we were living, I mean, we had bought that house, but it was a entry level house. It wasn't super expensive under 200,000, which, you know, depending on where you are in the country, that means different things. But for us in the Midwest, that was fairly modest entry level house. And so, yeah, I think we were probably around $40,000 a year of expenses and 
Yeah. And it's like, and I don't remember the exact amount we had there, but for us, it was just always questioning everything and with the end in mind. And again, knowing that this isn't going to be permanent, but this is a temporary thing. We have this big goal, you know, it's kind of like running a marathon. It's like, it's a lot of work, you know, <laughs> it doesn't feel great at the moment, but the payoff is going to be really, really great. And you know that there is an end in sight, even if it's going to be a while, you know, for us, the whole thing moved a whole lot faster than we anticipated, which was really, really fun and encouraging and exciting for us. But yeah. Did it move faster because your business was successful or did you guys change your income in some sort of way? How did you make it go fast? You know, honestly, like the thing that this was one of the things that was really crazy about this whole thing while we were doing this. So we were praying and like, asking God, how can we do this as fast as possible? And we began giving more. And I know this is such a counterintuitive thing, but we began giving more while we were trying to pay off this house. And I'm convinced that that was part of this equation, you know, and I don't have like, this is not something I can prove by any stretch of the imagination. But for us, like that was just part of the thing that kind of sped things up, you know, so the biggest business did begin doing better and we began seeing some extra income that from there, you know, again, while we're locking in our standard of living and just increasing that spread, it was just helpful, you know, because it is now more and more each month that we could put towards that house. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting insight right now because we're going through a really tough time financially for a lot of people across the country. And maybe for somebody who's taken the leap to jump to entrepreneurship or has lost a job and trying to figure out a way to make some income is to maybe have a little bit of faith that the process is going to go well and to invest in yourself and and to give back if you're able to, which is which is really cool. So l- let's talk about how, how long did it take for you guys to pay off the mortgage from when you said, hey, let's do this to the end? Less than three years. Wow, that's incredible. And what was the principal on the mortgage, if you remember? About 150000 I think it was. I think it was 150. That's incredible. So the business did well enough for, let's say, on average, for you guys to throw another 50 plus at it each year. Yeah, yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. Like it went so much faster than we anticipated. I was thinking, all right, if we can do this in seven, even ten years, I'm gonna be thankful and happy. And it just went so much faster. That's incredible. Did you guys think about at that time investing in the stock market instead of paying off the mortgage? Why was that more important to you? Or did you do both? How did that work? Yeah, no, I mean, I I absolutely was thinking about that. I was thinking about buying rental property. I was thinking about a lot of different things, but for us, it you know it wasn't about the math, and it was more about the sense of peace that comes from owing no one. It's just such a strong draw to both of us, and I know some people who maybe that's not as interesting to. I don't really know. It's hard for me to understand that, but for us, it was such a draw just to not owe anyone and that feeling of peace that comes with it. Because like I said, we just from paying off that first car, we had kind of become addicted to this, and we just wanted all of it. And so I was okay not getting, you know, as invested in the stock market as I wanted to be or to waiting on buying a rental property or whatever the thing may be, you know, knowing that mathematically it might've been smarter to do that. Yeah, it was just worth it for us. Well, it sounds like it was a combination of owning more of your time, being an entrepreneur and I guess owning more of your own stuff. Like it's your house, it's your car, this is your life. And that's an intangible thing that's difficult to put into a calculator. I wanted to dive into a little bit of your generosity. So you said you wanted to give more. How did you give more and who did you give more to? 
So, I mean, for us, it's always like we've been, you know, tithing, giving 10% of our money to our church for really from the beginning of our marriage. But we found over the years, it's like there there were more and more organizations that we wanted to support financially. They were doing great things and that we really believed in their mission. And, you know, and when we were just kind of locked into the 10% thing of giving a 10% to our church, we weren't able to do that. And we wanted to do that. And, you know, kind of through this whole thing, I, you know, I just kind of felt like God was saying, well, you can do it. And you can trust that, you know, maybe I'm still going to help you get this thing paid off faster than you think even while you're giving. And so that's what we did. And we just began giving to some of these other organizations, you know, different charities and ministries. We have a whole bunch of them, honestly, now that we like to support. And it was just one of those mind-blowing things where it's like you realize you're taking part in something that's bigger than you. And there's more going on than what meets the eye. And yeah, just an experience that we'll never forget. So tell me about how you guys used your money or how you celebrated after being mortgage free. I know you've got a business that was growing and has continued to have grown. It sounds like you guys have some great freedom today with that money after being through a great recession and now where we are today, some great security. So how did you celebrate paying off your mortgage and what are you guys doing with your money today? One of the things we did after we paid off our mortgage is we began traveling a bit more in which in hindsight, like at the time, I thought that was going to cost us a lot of money. And we've since become like credit card kind of travel hackers. And so <laughs> it actually doesn't cost much at all. But but we began doing that and just getting out a little bit more and seeing more of or really not much of the world, but mostly the U.S., seeing a lot of places in the U.S. And so that was part of it. But one of the main motivators for us, too, to pay off the debt, besides kind of the selfish desire for freedom and for these things was we knew that once we do that, we now have a lot more money each month that we can give away. And so that was a big part of a motivation for us as well is just being able to give more again to organizations that we really wanted to support. So we've been able to increase that over the years, which has been really fun and just fulfilling being able to do something there. But we've also, you know, worked on maxing out our Roth IRAs and just increasing our investments. And we did have a rental property for a while, ended up selling that off for a variety of reasons, but that's pretty much where we are at this point building your wealth, giving back. And then I understand you guys do have kids now. Is that right? We do. We have three little kids now. And so, as you know, they require a little bit of uh, funding as well. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and planning for your future with your family. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you sharing this story with us. There's somebody listening right now and maybe they're, you know, in the midst of this pending recession and they're in debt, but they're looking towards the future saying, hey, I'm going to get through this. I know I'm going to make more money and I want to become mortgage free in the future. What is one piece of advice you'd have for them today? I didn't really mention this, but for us, so much of it was around our budget. And I don't know, like, I think we would have eventually paid off everything without a budget, but the budget was a thing that like we were talking about, about maintaining that standard of living while increasing the income and increasing that spread. That was the tool that helped us do it. Because without that, we just kept on finding that we had no control over those expenses. And so that was such a critical part for us. And so that's what I'm always recommending to all of our readers and podcast listeners is the same thing. It's like, get a budget that works. It doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be restrictive. You can actually design the life you want with it and reach your goals so much faster. And so I just think that's a critical part. 
I'm all about the budget, man. It's liberating. It does not restrict, it liberates. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When done well. Not everybody does it well, but when done well. That is true. That is yeah. true. So Bob is not only generous with his money and has done well for himself and generous with his money, but he's also generous with the information that he gives out with his business. So let's learn about where we can connect with you, Bob, and how people can learn more from you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So our podcast is Seed Time Money. Instagram, we're at Seed Time or our website. We have a free five-day course at SeedTime.com. So S-E-E-D-T-I-M-E.com. Excellent, Bob. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, Andy. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Planning for a comfortable retirement and eliminating your mortgage early. Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Bob, for helping us all win today. I think there's a nice tie-in between these two interviews or these two discussions. If we can control our expenses and maybe even pay off our mortgage early, our path to retirement will be a lot easier with lower expenses We won't need to save up as much for retirement, and we can enjoy more of life today. At least, that's my two cents. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I am growing it each week with new videos, just like this interview I did with Bob. It is going to be on YouTube as well, so you can see us talking back and forth. It's real. It's awesome. Check it out. So go to youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. That's youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. I am looking to get 1,000 subscribers by the end of the year. I'm close to 500 right now, and I would really appreciate your support. If you could go check out that site, click the subscribe button, check out what the videos are all about, and enjoy. Thanks for considering it, everybody. And a big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing this show for us, and also Alec Collins for putting together those YouTube videos, which you guys can see at youtube.com slash marriagekidsandmoney. I feel very grateful to have both of you helping me out, so thank you so much. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Paul Clitheroe. It's not what you earn, it's what you spend. Great job, buddy. It's time to understand your expenses and then start to control them, everyone. Carpe diem! <laughs>